Thankful to, to Greta, our worship intern, for leading us in worship this weekend. A perfect weekend to do that and celebrating all the incredible uh, female leaders that we have here uh, at the church in a variety of ways. What would we do without you? We're so thankful for your gifts and your talents and the ways that, uh, that you share with us uh, in a variety of ways. If you're new uh, to Hope today, you may not know, but we are one church in multiple locations between our campuses and our local sites. And so it's a good reminder uh, that we're all on the same team, that we're a part of a much bigger family family as well. And so one of the benefits of being one church in multiple locations is that we get to hear from a variety of uh, uh, pastors and preachers uh, from time to time. Normally you see Chris and I up here a uh, majority of the time, but today pretty much all of our campuses, uh, we're going to be hearing from Mike Householder, our senior pastor, live from the West Des Moines location. Going live in just a minute here, uh, we will cut over there uh, as well. But we want you to know that Mike knows he's speaking to you. And as we always do, follow along. If you've got your Bibles, encourage you to open up to our reading of uh, our, our, that was probably the best scripture reading we've had. I mean, no offense to those of you that read scripture, but that was pretty cute. So uh, we're thankful uh, for that. Uh, open up your Bibles to Proverbs 31 to follow along, to read along, uh, as well as the things on the screen, to laugh along, to cry along, wherever you might be at today. We're continuing a sermon series called uh, Scripture and a Movie, and we're uh, looking at some of these uh, films that have been really popular in the box office over the last year. Last weekend, we looked at Won't You Be My Neighbor, a documentary about Mr. Rogers, uh, and this week weekend, we turn our attention to the only appropriate movie for Mother's Day that all moms love, and that's Incredibles 2. We're not kidding. That's what we're going to get to in a little bit, and you might be surprised at the connections uh, that are there uh, as well. And so as we dive uh, into this today, I know that for a lot of you, Mother's Day is a very exciting day. You're here with your mom. You're here with your grandma. Maybe your mom drug you here, and you don't want to really be here. Well, just deal with it. I did for the first 18 years of my life, uh, and uh, here we go, and uh, it's worth it. And we're really glad that you're here with your mom. For some of you, you wish that she was sitting next to you. And maybe for a lot of you, even though for some it's a great weekend, for others of you, it's not so great. It's a tough weekend, I know. And maybe it's your first uh, year alone. It's your first year uh, without your mom. Uh, maybe there's a strained or difficult relationship there between parents and kids, a tension, some, some pain or some wounds or some difficulty from the past. Maybe for a lot of you, we know in a church the size of hope, we know. Uh, we've talked to a lot of you. We walk alongside a lot of you. There are dozens and dozens of women here today that would love to be a mom. But for a variety of reasons, can't be. And so we don't want to just sweep that under the rug or push that aside. That's real. And the pain uh, associated with that and the frustration and the anger associated with that is real. And we want you to know that you can be real here and that we see you and that we love you. And whether that's your situation, regardless of what your motherhood circumstances might be surrounding you today, we want you to know that your identity is not found uh, in kids or not, or what that relationship looks like. Your primary identity is that you are a beloved daughter of the king. And he sees you and he knows you today and you are loved and you are valued and you are delighted in here at Lutheran Church of Hope. We love it that you are here. And so regardless of what you might be feeling today, you're in God's house. And in God's house, there is love and there is grace upon grace for you today. There is mercy, there is forgiveness, there is even healing that is available through Jesus Christ today. And that's what's available for you in God's house. So I would say you made the right choice and you're in the right place. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, you're in the right place. Tell him that right now. You're in the right place. You are in the right place. We are so, so glad that you are here. And so as we begin our journey together, let's pray. And then we'll get into the message today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that sees us, that knows us, not just for the women here today, God, but all of us. 
children of God. And so I pray that today, no matter what brought us here, we know that there's one thing that connects us all, and that's that we're your kids. Young and old, God, we never stop being your kids. But God, I do pray specifically for all the moms, for all the grandmas, for all the women that are here today. God, that you would open up their hearts and know that your Holy Spirit has something to speak to them today. God, and for us as men, I pray that you would open our hearts as well, that we would be champions for the women in our lives, that we would not just help them survive, but that we would allow them to thrive in who God uniquely, very uniquely created every single one of them to be. God, we thank you for opportunities like this to lift up and celebrate the women in our lives. We thank you for opportunities to laugh together, to cry together, and to be your church, to be family together. God, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. We'll begin, and we turn our attention to Incredibles. Well, that was incredible. Uh, it'll get better, I promise Happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms. Join me in praising God uh, for all the wonderful mothers in this church family. So that movie clip that you saw is from a movie called Incredibles 2. Uh, oh, and I'm sorry, welcome to everybody who's watching at other campuses of hope around uh, central Iowa and in Kansas as well. And those of you who are watching online, really glad that you're all here worshiping together. And I'm really excited to share with you um, this word today from Proverbs chapter 31, because I think it's so relevant, particularly on Mother's Day. Uh, this movie is about this superhero family, the Parr family. Uh, that's uh, Helen Parr and uh, Bob Parr, the parents, and their superhero kids who all have superhero attributes that kind of fit their personality. So the teenage daughter likes to disappear because she's just too embarrassed to be in certain situations. And, and, and the little boy is super fast because he's running all around all the time. And the baby superhero in the Parr family is, um, well, you just have to watch the movie. He has almost unlimited gifts. Um, the dad is, I don't know, how do I put this? Not the sharpest rock in the bag, uh, but he's got a good heart. And he tries, and he's very strong. Uh, he's very big. Uh, and the mom is called Elastigirl, as you just saw. And that certainly fits uh, how it feels a lot of times to balance all of the challenges that, that hit women in our culture. Uh, to be a mom, to be uh, those who are mothers, uh, to be a wife, those who are married, to uh, have a career, to pursue that, to um, have friends and a social life, to take care of all sorts of other things, uh, both inside and outside of the house. And it gets to be a bit much along the way add to that pressure that our culture is already putting on women, and then we open up the Bible, and we open up the Bible to find some, maybe some relief and some comfort, and we get to Proverbs 31, and this is piled on top. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her. She'll greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So far, so good, right? Most women I know would easily sail over this bar. They, they have these attributes. But then it doesn't stop. It goes on. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. <laughs> and some men are like, that'd be nice. I don't know. I, I actually don't think any man would think that, but it's odd. She's like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. She's a real estate developer, apparently. With her earnings, she plants a, a vineyard, or with her earrings, is one of the kids cutely said. 
uh, and a grape yard. That was pretty fun. She's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night, so she's a successful businesswoman too. Her hands are busy spinning thread. Now she's back doing needlepoint, I guess, and her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor, so she's doing a lot of charity work with all of her free time. She opens her arms to the needy. Apparently her house is wide open to anybody. She has no fear of winter for her household. Everyone's got warm clothes that, that clearly she's taken care of. She makes her own bedspreads. <laughs> I mean, who wants to buy bedspreads? Let's make our own. Uh, she dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Apparently purple is in the Bi- for Bible uh, fashion. Uh, she, she, her husband is well known at the city gates and on and on it goes. And it gets downright exhausting to the point that if we aren't careful, we're gonna miss what it means to be a biblical woman. Proverbs 31 tells us a lot of things, but as Rachel Held Evans put it uh, not that long ago, she says, for women like me who grew up thinking of the domestic superheroine of Proverbs 31 is just another impossible standard by which to mark my shortcomings as a woman, the passage can come with some dot, dot, dot baggage. Rachel Held Evans grew up in a uh, legalistic church in the Bible Belt in the South. She went on to become a New York Times best-selling Christian author. A lot of you have probably read her stuff, her books, her blog, uh, follow her on Twitter, I do. Uh, she's, she's really incredibly brilliant. But she grew up in this fundamentalistic church in, in the South where she was taught something that's really uh, well, I'll say two things about it up front. One is it's very damaging to the souls of the people who grow up as children in places like this. And the other is, and more importantly, it's not biblical. And that's why it's damaging, spiritually speaking. In these churches, what is taught is it's all about you. It's all about how you perform. It's all about you jumping over the spiritual high bars. It's all about you making sure that you are ascending spiritually speaking in your life, that you've got it all together, that you, uh, I guess, have to fake it because no individual woman could ever possibly check all the boxes in Proverbs 31. So the way her church taught Proverbs 31 and really all sorts of scriptures was to say, you just have to try harder, you have to do more, and if you aren't, well, then I guess you can't be like us. And you aren't really, really a Christian or you aren't a mature Christian like those of us who check all the boxes in Proverbs 31. Of course, we have to lie to ourselves in order to do there, to get there and to self-deceive, but never mind that, that's the game. See why it's so damaging? Because in churches that fall into legalistic ditches, there is no grace. And where there is no grace, there is no Christianity. That isn't Christianity. It isn't Christian to talk about what you have to do. Whatever campus you're at, or if you're at a soccer tournament right now, it's Mother's Day, why are you at a soccer tournament? But wherever you are right now, turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you, Christianity isn't, it's not. (laughs) Some of you are like, well don't I play a small part at least? Yes, of course you do. But it starts with Jesus Christ. It starts with grace. It starts with what God has done, not what we do in order to earn God's favor. We do not get God's favor because we've earned it. In case you've tripped into that delusion, that somehow I could be spiritual enough, somehow I could be Christian enough, somehow I could be religious enough, and God, w- I will earn God's favor. I will be able to stand righteous before a holy God because of my performance. 
No, you won't. You'll never be able to get there. And you won't be able to live up to this Proverbs 31 ideal of what a woman is supposed to be. Now, clearly, I wanna be careful on this. I wanna make sure you hear me on this. I'm not saying that like, okay, I'm gonna massage the text and manipulate it and make it more palpable for 21st century tastes so that you can feel better about who you are and we'll just pretend the Bible doesn't say what it actually says. The good news for half of the world's population, the women, is that Proverbs 31 has been misinterpreted perhaps more than almost any other chapter of the Bible and misapplied into our modern world and ends up putting a lot of women on a road that isn't biblical and it isn't Christianity and it isn't what God intended from the beginning. I'm not trying to smooth over the rough edges here. I just want you to get, I wanna lead you back. I'll be your tour guide today. I wanna lead you back to what Proverbs 31 actually says in its original text, in the Hebrew, and in the context of the rest of the book of Proverbs. Remember from last week what the book of Proverbs is. That's our book of the month this month as a church. We're diving into these book, this book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Inspired by God, written through the pens of people like King Solomon, these Proverbs are short, concise, moral statements of timeless truth from God that apply directly to our daily lives. They are incredibly effective. In fact, Proverbs is so rich and so thick in some places that if you're reading it faithfully, you're gonna open it up. And as a friend of mine said after one of the services last week, sometimes when I start reading Proverbs, when I open up my Bible to Proverbs, I have to close it. <laughs> it's that challenging. It pushes me. It reminds me of the reflection of who God calls me to be. Sometimes I have to read a verse and go take a walk just to kind of sort it out because it's so concise and it's so direct that so, it, if it doesn't stir you up like that, you're reading it for other people instead of for yourself. But Proverbs 31 has been misinterpreted and misapplied in so many ways that it puts women on a road that isn't righteous. It isn't biblical, it isn't Christian. Because there's no grace, there's no Christianity. There's no cross, there's no need for a cross. So Rachel Evans grew up in this church where she felt completely stuck. And it wasn't until she poured into the scriptures and studied them, I mean deeply. It's not so different from Martin Luther's story almost five, over 500 years ago, the guy who started the Protestant Reformation in what is now Germany, and the guy from whom we take our first name, Luther and Church of Hope. He struggled with this too because he grew up in a church that told him he wasn't good enough. He grew up in a church that told him you have to do all these good works. You, you have to prove to God that you're worthy. You have to climb these steps of worthiness. Sometimes almost to go to Rome and climb these physical actual steps and pray these special prayers as you climb up these steps one at a time to somehow earn God's favor. And Luther wrote with a broken heart after he climbed these steps trying to earn God's favor. To be honest, I don't feel any different after I'm done than when I started. If anything, I'm just disappointed. That no matter what I do, I can't seem to feel God in a relationship with God. It's because it's not about you, Martin. It's not about you, Rachel. It's not about you, Lutheran Church of Hope. It's about Jesus Christ and what he's done and you receiving this wonderful gospel, this good news of God's grace, that pulled Rachel out of the ditch in the same way it pulled Martin Luther out of the ditch when he discovered what the Bible actually says. 
in its common thread theme from Genesis to Revelation, that you are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is not your own doing. It's not about you, lest any of us should boast, but it is a gift from God. Well, that started the whole Protestant Reformation. And for Rachel Evans and her millions of followers on Twitter, it started to pull people who were lost in the same kind of legalism that she was lost in and stuck in and pulled her out of that ditch and put her on a road of following Jesus Christ. I do not mean to lift her up as a perfect saint. She wouldn't do that. She wouldn't call herself that. Since I followed her on Twitter for years, I noticed that sometimes when she got sort of pulled into arguments, you know how Twitter starts to flame up every once in a while, if you ever follow that, and people just really go after each other? When, When she would get pulled into these arguments, sometimes she would sort of lose her balance, like any of us would, like any of us do. And then somebody would call her on it. And the difference about with Rachel, and one of the reasons I'm honoring her today, is because she would apologize. She would say, that was wrong. I should just be debating the issue, not going on personal attacks for the people I'm debating with. Wow, could our country learn a lot from that. I wish I would just stay focused on debating the issue instead of, going down into the ditch in the mud of turning it into personal attacks against those with whom I'm debating. I wouldn't agree with her on everything that she said. Sometimes she said things and I'm like, I I just don't agree. Most of the time I did. But she's following Jesus and on that we are on the same team and that is more than enough. Martin Luther said that. He wrote it in Latin in the book of Concord which started this whole reformation. The Latin phrase is teeny tiny, it's satis est. It literally means it is enough for the unity of Christians that we agree on Jesus Christ. That we agree on his death and resurrection. That we agree that we're saved by God's grace. That there is a God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what unites us as Christians. It isn't the denominational stripe we wear. It isn't the way we express ourselves in worship. It isn't the finer points of our theology. We, the church, look so much like the rest of the world these days when we get lost in these fights and we start to yell and scream and and throw grenades, spiritual grenades at each other. Like somehow we forget we're on the same team. We're on the same team with the church across the street. God bless them. And the church down the street and the church in your neighborhood, whatever campus you're at, any church that proclaims Jesus Christ, that's our team. We're with them and we want them to thrive. But it's easy to fall in ditches. Over on this side, as I'm fond of saying and preaching, it's the ditch of legalism. But there's an equally dangerous ditch on the other side called relativism. So there's Rachel Evans, who kind of hangs out on the Christian left, if you will. And then over on the other side, there's Beth Moore, who is also a great teacher for all sorts of women in this church, who hangs out sort of on the Christian right side. And they would agree on 99% of things. And they would sometimes get into these Twitter conversations, but they always kept it respectful. They always did it with their eyes on Jesus. And that's an example for all of us. The other reason I honor Rachel Held Evans today, (laughs) it is so heartbreaking. That's her husband. She's a mother of three children. A month ago, she got the flu. It was so bad, she got hospitalized. When she got to the hospital, she got a terrible infection. The infection spread to her brain. And a week and a half or two weeks ago, she died. 37 years old. A voice 
that pulled people out of the mud, that pulled people out of the ditch, that helped them find the freedom and the grace of Jesus Christ and did it for millions upon millions of people. This New York Times best-selling author, it's just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for her three little children, heartbreaking for her husband, heartbreaking for the church of Jesus Christ. And that isn't to lift her up on a pedestal again. It isn't about that. It's just to say, let's find our unity. Let's remember we're called to get out of these ditches. In the same way Rachel pulled them out from the ditch of legalism, Beth Moore and other great Female and male teachers pull people out of the ditches of relativism and remind the world it's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about following him. It's about Jesus. Turn back to the person next to you. You said before, it's not about you. Now say, it is about Jesus. I want to make sure you hear that today on Mother's Day. So here come, here come the Incredibles, and they are incredible, but it's a struggle Anna Jarvis, this is Anna Jarvis right here, a picture of her, and this is her Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia. She started Mother's Day in this country. I don't know if you know that or not, but it was back in 1908, and she started it to be a, a church celebration. In fact, when Mother's Day become, became a national holiday, and it became something very different than what Anna intended from the origins of establishing Mother's Day, she campaigned to have it banished from the American holiday calendar. The same woman who advocated that there should be a Mother's Day on the holiday calendar and was successful, once it became completely commercialized and it became something very different than what she intended from the beginning, she wanted to have it wiped off the calendar every year. What was she so upset about? How, what, how did she start Mother's Day that's different than the way it is today? I don't know if this sounds familiar to you, but she handed out white carnations to all the women who were walking into church that morning at her Methodist church in West Virginia. In honor, you say, oh, she's doing it because she was a mother and she wanted mothers like her to be recognized. She never became a biological or adoptive mom, which is a word for those of you who struggle with Mother's Day because you say, well, I'm a woman, but that's not my calling, or it's, it's not something that I've been able to realize in my life. It's, it's, it, maybe it's not a problem for you. Maybe it brings sadness to you. There's all sorts of issues that can surround that. The woman who started Mother's Day wasn't a mom, by the way we so often define mom, but she was very much a motherly, positive motherly influence to all sorts of kids in her church. All sorts of kids would see her in this kind of role, the way all sorts of kids in our churches, at all of our campuses, see different women and men in these parental, highly positively influential roles. You do not have to be a biological or adoptive parent in order to have that kind of influence on the next generation. Anna Jarvis knew this. She's the one who started Mother's Day. You said, oh, well then maybe she's doing it in honor of her mom. She was. But others say, I really struggle with Mother's Day because my mom died, and so I just can't do it. I can't celebrate it anymore. Anna Jarvis's mother, with whom she was incredibly close, died three years before she started Mother's Day. It's living or deceased. It's no boundary there. And the way we celebrate Mother's Day, the way people talk about it in everyday language as well, if my mom's not around, I can't do it, and I'm just gonna skip church, or if I'm not a mom, it's just too hard, and I... That's not how it was established. In fact, it really could be called Women's Day. 
the way it was established once upon a time because Anna made sure carnations were handed out to every woman in the church. If you have your carnation, go ahead and grab it right now, women, and, and hold it up. It's gonna be kind of cool to see all the carnations up in the room. That's really cool. Praise God for them again, men, if you, if you have a hand to clap. We honor you today. You are worthy of us honoring you. There's also this part of us as men where we have to acknowledge and honestly admit, we'd be in big trouble without you in this church family. So thank you. Thank you for your motherly influence. Thank you for what you bring. On Mother's Day in churches all over America, sermons on Proverbs 31 are being preached. But she's not who you think. It starts, Proverbs 31 does, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? And I read the list of all the things that a woman has to live up to. This, 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 this checklist is how most of us read it and interpret it. Entire books, entire conferences, Christian conferences are about becoming a Proverbs 31 woman. I see young millennial women uh, posting on social media, I wanna become a Proverbs 31 woman. I mean, that's a great goal, but it isn't honest uh, 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 in terms of capability and, and what we can be, and it isn't what the Bible calls us to be. It doesn't say become a Proverbs 31 woman. In fact, what a Proverbs 31 woman is gonna surprise you if you don't know. She's not who you think. Let's dive right into it. So. Proverbs 31 celebrates women of strength. Here's, here's the Hebrew. Everyone say, Isha. And say, it, it looks like Chayil on here, but it's pronounced, this is a fun one to say, and that's why I'm letting you do it. Chayil. Everyone say, Chayil. Isha Chayil. Put it together. Isha Chayil. Now wipe down the person in front of you, wherever you're sitting. Isha Chayil means, well, it's translated usually as valiant wife or virtuous wife. What it really literally means is strong woman. Isha Chayil, valiant woman, capable woman, worthy woman. That's what this chapter of the Bible is out. So it does not exclude women who aren't married or women who aren't mothers. So, uh, Proverbs 31 celebrates women of strength. It's also important, I think, to pay attention to the actual language in the original Hebrew of Proverbs 31. There isn't one Hebrew word in this text about women finding their worth in men, like our culture too often teaches women. There isn't one word in here about pregnancy or childbirth. And the only time Proverbs 31 speaks about beauty, it's talking about a far deeper beauty, and that's very clear from the text of the original Hebrew. There's not one word that could be interpreted as superficial physical appearance or appeal. Not one word about finding younger looking skin, and that's what you need to do in order to be a faithful Christian woman. Not one word about keeping up on all the fashions. It says they wear purple, who knows if that's in or out. But not one word about the shallow things. Be set free, women, especially younger generations of women who can hear my voice right now. For the girls. You were made for more than to be judged on skin-deep things. You are more, and your beauty, it runs deep. It's way deep down inside of you, and the Bible says so. You have God's word on this. There's more to you than what the world says there is along the way. 
Rachel Evans puts it this way. She says, therefore, given the Hebrew of what it actually says in the original text, therefore, what it means is this. If you're a CEO, a pastor, or a barista at Starbucks, whatever you do for a living, or, or don't do, if you're rich or poor, single or married, do it all with valor, with strength. That's what makes you a Proverbs 31 woman. Not creating a life worthy of a Pinterest board and reducing your life. To, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with pursuing. The, I, I don't want to like, I'm not saying Pinterest is bad. Pinterest is, I don't get it, but it's fine, right? <laughs> but what makes you a Proverbs 31 woman isn't trying to check all the boxes on the list in Proverbs 31. What makes you a Proverbs 31 woman, woman in the original text of the Hebrew is that you know that you are a woman of strength. That you are a woman of strength. Now it gets really fun, especially for an English major in college like me. Proverbs 31 is a poem. Everyone say poem. poem. Probably not a lot of you read a lot of poetry. You should, it's great. But you listen to music, and music's, music often comes with lyrics, and lyrics are just poetry put to song. And in this case, Proverbs 31, more specifically, is a poem that is a song of praise. It's meant to be sung. It's also wildly artistic and rather complex. Allow me to be an English major geek, and I promise uh, this will be really short and we'll jump right along. But not only is Proverbs 31 a poem, that's worth noting because it changes the way we read it. It's not a legal document. It's not a checklist of morality things that you have to do. It's not a bar, spiritual bar to jump over. It's a poem. It's a song. That's literally what it is. Don't make it something it isn't. Because when we start to misinterpret it that way, we end up with misapplication. And when we end up with misapplication, we push people into ditches. Get back on the road of following Jesus Christ. Proverbs is a poem. It's an acrostic and a chiastic. Aren't you excited to learn what that means if you don't know? Some of you do. An acrostic means taking a word, the letters from a word, and starting every verse of a poem or a song with that letter, that first letter being the first letter in that verse or that phrase. So Proverbs 31 from verses 10 to 31 is an acrostic of the entire Hebrew alphabet. Isn't that cool? That's how you know for sure it's a poem. It is listed right straight through from Aleph to Beit all the way through the Hebrew alphabet to the last letter of the alphabet. As if that wasn't enough to help you understand this is the kind of uh, literature that's written by the hand of God. It's also a chiastic. Now there are acrostic poems and there are chiastic poems, but it's very rare that they are both. This is both, isn't that cool? <laughs> it's a chiastic, you say, I think it's cool, but I don't know what a chiastic is. A chiastic is the subject matter of the poem. So the first verse of this poem, Proverbs 31.10, in, in subject matter matches the last verse of this poem, verse 31. The next verse, verse 11, matches in subject matter the verse before the last verse, verse 30, and so on right on down the line. The third verse matches the third to last verse in subject matter to the fourth to the fourth to last until it inverts and meets in the middle. It's just awesome, isn't it? Man, I love that stuff. That's really hard to write. Well, you could write it, but it's going to be a poem that makes no sense, right? You say, oh, I need something that starts with X. Ah, that's going to be really hard. And I need something in subject matter that inverts in a perfect chiasm so that it all holds together in this beautiful, 
mysterious word from God about who we are and the direction he calls us to live. I've told you to be short, I'll move right on. More importantly, Proverbs 31, therefore, since it's a poem, is descriptive. It's a song. It's not prescriptive. It's not do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And women, if you aren't doing all these things, whoops, I guess you're not living up to it. I guess you're not making it as a spiritual woman. Oh, yeah, you are, actually, because there's grace all throughout this text. Third thing, it's plural, not singular. Here's where things get really wild. There's no way you can read this in the original Hebrew and say this is about an individual woman. This is about a collection of women, a community of women, a church of women. This is about multiple women, plural women together, who together check off all the boxes on this list and all of these attributes, where no individual woman could, in the plural, that woman in community with other women does, like the women at Lutheran Church of Hope do. You put all of the women in this church together, you check every box, and then some along the way. That's what this text is about in Scripture. That's what God is saying to us. In community, you are these things. More specifically, Proverbs 31 is actually counsel inspired by God through a mother, Mother's Day, through a mother to her son who happens to be a king, King Lemuel. And she says, this is my advice inspired by God. That as you see your future and as you move into the future and you think about a partnership with, 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 with a mate in your life, these are the kinds of attributes I believe you should look for. God believes you should look for. These are the kinds of things that you should seek. Not that any one individual woman could be this, but these are the kinds of attributes that you should have. In addition, this is also, in the context of the rest of the book of Proverbs, wisdom literature, as I said before. Well, the Hebrew word for wisdom, which is the common thread that runs throughout the whole book of Proverbs, the Hebrew word for wisdom is a feminine word. So we could call it uh, woman wisdom or lady wisdom. And this wisdom is being directed toward the people of God. So some scholars, scholars who I trust a lot, suggest this. They say, actually, Proverbs 31 is this beautiful mystery that is both speaking about a community of women on the advice of a mother who loves her son and wants him to look for these attributes in, in, in a woman to spend his life with, but it's also beyond that. It's also a call of God for his church, a prophetic word for the relationship that God wants to have with his church. Let me just spin this one level deeper. Go to the New Testament, and Paul writes to the, the Christian church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, and he says, I'm talking to you about marriage. He is talking to them about marriage between a husband and a wife, and he says, this is a beautiful mystery. It's a mystery because it's a metaphor it's an illustration for the relationship that God wants to have with us. Jesus Christ, Paul goes on to say, and the New Testament goes on to say, is the groom, that's the witness of Scripture, and the church is the bride, that's what Scripture says. And so it's this mysterious, beautiful, poetic, artistic, deep, and broader-than-you-thought text in Proverbs 31, which prophetically is looking forward to the fulfillment of this prophecy through Jesus Christ, the groom, who marries us, the bride, and we have this union. 
We have this union between creator and created, this, this glorious mystery where heaven touches earth through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I realize this is heavy and this is deep, but that just shows you how far these texts go. That just shows you the depth of God's word, gives you a taste. I could do five more sermons just on this, but I just wanted to give you some flavor for it, a sense for what we're dealing with here. The feminine wisdom, woman wisdom, lady wisdom, the attribute of God that's been there from the beginning of creation, according to scripture, where wisdom shows up and, and, and moves through the world and the universe as it's created. That wisdom comes to us through these timeless truth proverbs of God that direct our steps in life. It's a beautiful mystery. You cannot deduce it all into a scientific formula. It's bigger than that. It's more glorious than that. It's more artistic than that. It's more lovely and beautiful than that. Proverbs 31 is a wildly artistic and rather complex poem that is a song of praise. Rachel Evans puts it this way, given all of that, perhaps a woman's highest calling is not motherhood, but to follow Christ. And she doesn't say that to slam moms. Remember, she's the mother of three. She understands the high calling of motherhood, that there's hard, it'd, be, it'd be easy to make the case that there is no higher human calling than parenthood, motherhood, fatherhood. That this is the highest of all human callings uh, apart from our relationship with God. But that relationship with God is bigger. That's the wedding that the Bible is ultimately pointing us to. Between Jesus Christ the groom and us the bride, that we come together and the two become one in this beautiful mystery. Perhaps a woman, she could have just as well said, perhaps a man's highest calling is not fatherhood, but to follow Christ. That as great as that is and as important as that is, there's still one step higher and Proverbs 31 points us to this. Even more, another great hero of the Old Testament, Ruth. I mean, she had a whole book named after her. If you read the story of Ruth, if you know the story of Ruth, if you don't, I encourage you to read it sometime soon. You'll read about a very faithful woman, about a very strong woman, about a woman who's described as a woman of noble character, and that doesn't just come through by somebody saying that's who she is. It comes through because of the way she lives and the way she cares and the way she loves. But if you compare Ruth's life, the way she lived it in detail, the way it, it played out for her, to this description in Proverbs 31 of what some individual woman, if it's misinterpreted, the way it's misinterpreted and misapplied is, okay, you, every woman, to be a real Christian, you have to be this Proverbs 31 woman. Well, Ruth's gonna have a problem with that because Ruth doesn't fit that description at all. She's something quite different than that, except she shares this, the noble character, the woman of strength part, the woman of valor part. And so finally this, number one, Proverbs is written not to a virtuous wife, but literally in the Hebrew to strong women, plural. Number two, Proverbs 31, it's important to remember the genre of literature it is, it's a poem. It's a song of praise, it's art. It's not a prescription list of things you gotta do. Third thing, and to me the most important part on Mother's Day for us, as it's direct application to where we sit right now, Proverbs 31 is written with instructions for men, not women. How y'all like them apples, right? <laughs> Be released, women, from the pressure. 
Proverbs 31, there's no way you can read it in the original Hebrew and come to the conclusion, this is God telling me this is what I have to be. In order, in, order to, in order to stand righteous before God, this is what I have to do. It's just not anywhere in the text. It's not anywhere in the context of the rest of Proverbs. It doesn't fit with the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. It doesn't fit with the prophecy that it points to in the New Testament. It doesn't fit with the fact that it's plural instead of singular. It doesn't fit with the fact that it's descriptive, not prescriptive. All of these things. But there is one line of instruction in this proverb in the original Hebrew. And it's for men. And you know what it is? Praise the women in your life, men. Give them praise. Praise your mothers. Praise your wives. <laughs> Praise your daughters. Praise your sisters. <laughs> Teenage boys are sitting, really? I gotta <laughs> praise my sister? Yes, really. <laughs> Praise the women in your church family, your sisters in Christ. You could be sitting there, if you interpret this the world's way instead of the way it's actually written in the Bible, you can say, ah, this isn't for me because I'm not a mom and it's Mother's Day, so I don't, no, 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 it's for you. It's for all of us. It's happy Mother's Day to all of us because Proverbs 31 ultimately, bottom line, is written with one instruction for men. Praise the women in your life, not because they're perfect, not because they check a list that isn't a prescription list anyway, but because in a beautiful, mysterious, artistic, lovely, bigger than us way that God created for us, they bless this world that we get to live in too alongside of them by the grace of God. They bring light to darkness and they bring hope to despair and they bring life to dead things. Praise them, praise them. Stand up, men, and praise them, stand up. Praise the women in our church family. Every campus, stand up. Praise the women. Give them praise. Go home and do even better than that. Get into the habit of it. Jewish tradition, and these are Jewish scriptures that Christians embrace as our scriptures too. We're grafted onto that tree, the book of Romans says. Jewish tradition says that a Jewish man sings this song of praise to his wife and to his daughters and to his mother, to whoever is his sisters, who's ever in his household, once a week, every week at the Sabbath dinner meal. It's a beautiful tradition when you think about it, especially because a lot of men can't sing a lick. <laughs> and so they're singing this beautiful poem, Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 in Hebrew, to the women they're blessed to do life together with. Their wives, their moms, their daughters, their sisters, and for us as a church family, for you, our sisters in Christ. We stood and gave you praise, not just because you've earned it or deserve it, you do, but because of who you are, because of who God has made you to be, because we get to do life together with you. Because we get to walk in this beautiful mystery of life and follow Jesus and find our pace and our step. I think that's what Anna Jarvis was trying to get to when she handed out those carnations and started Mother's Day. We're here to honor women today. We're here to honor their contribution to the body of Christ. We're, we're here to thank God for their faithfulness, for their strength, for their valor, for their service. Think of this church without the service of women. Think of what worship would have been like at your campus. 
Here in West Des Moines, Alyssa's leading worship today, even though her voice is at half mass, she could barely speak 24 hours ago. I think men, our, our men, worship leaders be like, I'm out, we're gonna have to get somebody else. I, but, but Alyssa shows up and, and lets it fly. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that about the men. They're strong too. But the women here are really strong. Where would we be without the women who are teaching classes, leading groups, serving in ministries, taking part in mission trips? Where would we be without their generosity? Do you know during the season of Lent, we set an audacious goal to give a half a million dollars to build houses in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Des Moines through Habitat for Humanity, and we weren't sure we were gonna make it. And the way we started out, we were pretty sure we weren't. And we just thought, well, that's okay. We'll just take what we can get. We'll build what we can with what comes in. I mean, who knows? Who can judge the economy and where people are? But then all of a sudden, with a week or two to go before Easter, gave me just blow us away. I think it's because women got a hold of the checkbook or something. I don't know what it was. But we, you gave over three quarters of a million dollars to build these. So we'll just build more. And giving the money, giving the money is the easier part. That's what we do this spring. This fall, we're going to show up in this neighborhood as a church. Women and men side by side, and we're gonna build these houses alongside a habitat. You say, well, I'm not a builder. Then we can, we can support, and we can pray, or we can bring food, and we can do what? Let's continue to be the church. The Bible, these Proverbs, are written instructions for us, and in this case, instructions for men to give praise to women. The Jewish tradition of men singing this song to the women in their household every week, it just blows me away with its beauty and its depth, its profound significance. <laughs> At Jewish weddings still to this day, when the bride is walking down the aisle, this beautiful mystery, right? To uh, make her vows to her husband and her husband to his wife. The father traditionally is bringing the bride down the aisle. And one of the most traditional songs sung at Jewish weddings is Proverbs 31 in Hebrew, and it's always sung by a man. Can't be sung by a woman in Jewish tradition because that's the directive. That's the instruction. Men, your command from God is to praise the women in your church, in your life, in your household. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. That's the directive in the original Hebrew. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all that she has done, men. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. This is God's word on this subject. This is God's command. That we are not just on Mother's Day, but on a regular basis to praise the women that we get to do life together with along the way. Not because of what they've done nearly so much is who they are, is who they are, and the partnership that we get to have together is the body of Christ. At the end of the Incredibles 2 movie, the Incredibles are in the family station wagon, or minivan, or SUV, or whatever it is, and they're driving to a movie theater, and the teenage daughter is on a date. <laughs> it's like a junior high date, right? The whole family comes. And, and so here they are on this date to go to a movie together, and I want you to look for two things in this clip and then we're gonna wrap things up. It's just a minute long. I want you to look for the love that a family has for each other. And then I also want you to look for the mission. 
because that is a beautiful metaphor for the body of Christ. We are called to love each other and we are called to take that love inspired by it and led by Jesus Christ out of the ditches and to go shine our light into the darkness and the evil in the world around us. Inspired by the Holy Spirit and with a church that comes together to serve and understands who we are and what our calling is and what our mission is and carries that with love for each other, that really could revive this city and it could transform the world in a super heroic way. Take a look and see if you don't see it. They remembered who they were. They remembered who they were, and that's what we're called to do as well. Not to be superheroes, no, far from it. We're children of God. That's who we are. And so we let our being define our doing. We don't do all these things to earn God's love, his blessing, his delight over you today. We already have it. We're his kids. So moms, daughters, grandmas, all women here today, remember who you are. That's your identity, is you are a child of God. And that's true for every single one of us. Amazing things happen when we remember who we are. It defines us. It gives us our mission. It gives us our purpose. That's why we exist as a church in the city. Not just to come to church, but to be the church when we go out those doors, to remember who we are. And so the band's going to lead us in a final song today. And as we do, I want you to listen to what you're singing or saying or mumbling through or whatever it is. I want you to receive it. I want you to breathe it in, not just to wander and, 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 and go different places in your mind, but to remind yourself, do I believe what I'm singing? Do I believe what I'm saying? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. Let's believe it and let's sing it. Let's stand and worship together. Let's stand together. Let's sing. <laughs>